Good morning. Just getting set here, sorry. Good to see you all this morning. I brought a seat. I'm going to use it in a moment. So as you heard, um, Jay was, uh, um, I had this text message yesterday which said, Pete, I'm not well, I'm in bed. <laughs> so, um, so uh, he wasn't getting any better. I think uh, he's a little better this morning, but uh, he wasn't getting any better. So um, I'm going to try and take you through what uh, we planned for today. Um, I haven't had a lot of time to prepare, obviously, so I'm um, not going to try and speak for 30 minutes. I'll probably bore you all with uh, lack of preparation. Instead, I'm going to ask you lots of questions and make you do the work, right? <laughs> so um, if you came this morning thinking that you were, you know, maybe be able to relax and doze a little bit, eh, it's a different type of service this morning. Um, we're going to have some... Uh, some questions, a couple of stories in Luke, we'll get to in a moment, and uh, I think there's a lot for us to learn in them, and I'm looking forward to that, actually, this is going to be fun. So, here we go. And Scott told me that he's insisting that I must embarrass myself somehow at some point. We'll, we'll get there. Um, you may have picked up last week, we had a brunch church last week, right? So we were downstairs, and we were eating and discussing and so on. And you may have picked up that we started in a new series. It wasn't hugely evident then. Um, what we're calling the series is Outside In. Outside In. And maybe a subtitle is God's Kingdom for Outcasts. So that's, that's what we're starting. We had studied some pieces of Luke. We did, as you recall, probably some of you at least will recall last week, we did... The, um, <clears throat> the episode where uh, Jesus is uh, in the synagogue at Nazareth and he makes a kind of proclamation from Isaiah and the initial reaction is good, but then he starts to explain to them that it's not just about them, or maybe not mainly about them, the Jews in Nazareth, and it kind of gets bad from there, right? Because that's, a, that's a, a tough situation and they don't like it. So the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, right? We know Luke is a um, historian and a doctor. So um, he had written this Gospel and the Book of Acts, um, we believe, for Theophilus, um, that's, that's the sponsor at least, to teach them about God's kingdom um, and about what really happened with Jesus and the kind of centering love, and that's going to recur as a theme as we, as we go forward in the next few weeks. And we're going to be in this theme all the way through till Easter, um, picking out various episodes in the, the life of Jesus that come out from the Gospel of Luke and going through them. Um, this week we're in Luke 7. And as I said, I don't really want to preach necessarily. What I want is for us to share. So I know for those of you who have been to my house, pull up a chair, take your cup of tea, <laughs> sip, and let's talk. All right? That makes sense? So I expect to hear a lot from you. 
Um, we'll use the microphone if we have to. We'll see how that goes. Um, but first of all, I want to uh, read to you the story of um, the centurion. It's, uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, if you want to look at that, it's page 716. If you're on a phone, you'll find it, right? Luke chapter 7. It's probably good if you have it open, because as I ask questions, you're going to want to go look at it again, and it will have disappeared from the screen by then, right? So it'll come up on the screen, but um, it doesn't all fit on one slide, so it'll go past you. So Luke 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, now saying all this is kind of harping back to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of that type of teaching in the previous chapters. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. That's an amazing story, right? That Luke has chosen to uh, include in his uh, history of, uh, of the, what happened with Jesus. So let's think about it together. Start with an easy one, maybe an easier one at least. Um, what's a centurion? A soldier, yep. An officer, who said that? Well then, officer, yep. Hundred, that's what I thought. I, I did actually look this up. I thought, century, century sent, he commands a hundred soldiers. Eh, that's not what Wikipedia says. It says maybe 80. Okay, I don't know why. 80? Maybe there were a lot of cooks. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so he's, a, he's a, a Roman commander of soldiers, of legionnaires, right? Of many at least 60, 80, maybe 100. Um, what can you tell me about him? Think about the centurion. What could you tell me about him? What do you expect? Roman. Sorry? He's Roman. he's Roman, yep. Yep, he's not Jewish, good. Uh, a man with authority. 
Yes. 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 It comes out very strongly in the passage, doesn't it? I tell them to do it, and they do it. That's it. I don't imagine being a legionnaire or being, being in the Roman legion was a very pleasant situation. It would be very, I say it, you do it. I guess maybe all armies are like that, and it's just me. But. How do I know the worst? Hmm? How do I know the worst? Hey, sorry? Going to work. <laughs> going to work. <laughs> Quite so strong. Um, they would be the ones that uh, told, told the fiction. There's a prime example. You know, they would be the ones to tell the soldier, you go and do that. There was a centurion there at the time at, uh, in charge of the crucifixion, wasn't there? That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, they go on. Yeah, they, they, they go on to say he built he built our synagogue. So there's, I don't know, is that tit for tat or is that just not sure? Okay. Another thing about centurions is they had a lot of authority and they were they were very protected. What if, if they decided to do something, you were stuck, really. Caesar could stop them. But, but in law, they were very heavily protected. And therefore, quite, I don't know if it's the right word, dangerous to know. Right? These, are, these are people that there is no constraint on. If they decide that your family has transgressed in some way, then they could do awful damage. Okay. What do you think his life was like in first century Palestine? A little more welcome than the plague, but not much. Yes. Yes, he's an oppressor, isn't he? He's an oppressor. I was reading in Jane's notes to just to get this idea of oppressor. How does it feel like, what does it feel like in Ukraine at the moment? There are Russian soldiers who are oppressing, right? And certainly in some parts of Ukraine, there are Russian soldiers, soldiers that are in charge. It's, there's no Ukraine rule anymore. So, it's a bit like that. The centurion had been there longer, I think. There seems to be more of a relationship with the Jews in this, uh, in this passage, right? But he's an oppressor in a foreign country. He has a lot of power, all right? What was, it, what was the centurion's need? He was... Heal his servant, right. Heal his servant. 
So you're a centurion, you have a lot of power in a foreign land which you're dominating, but there's something that you cannot dominate, right? It is the life and death of this servant. Physical need is a great leveler, right? Many of you, most of you probably would have experienced the same. When health goes, sometimes there's nothing to be done except maybe to pray and hope for a miracle. Um, I remember when I was sitting downstairs um, last week in, in our brunch, and we, I wonder how we got onto the topic, got onto the topic of, of life being uncertain. Life is really uncertain. And, you know, I, I said as a, as a person who is now beyond 65, life is really uncertain. I don't know whether I will live 30 years or whether I may have a heart attack tomorrow. The, the probability increases, doesn't it? Life is uncertain. You, you're kind of that old phrase, a heartbeat away. And the centurion has no power over that, nothing that he can do, except that he, is, he has heard of Jesus. So life is a gift. It comes from God, and it seems like, at least for them, only God could intervene. So that was his need. I wonder, for this centurion... I mean, how did he come to want to lay that out before Jesus? Because it must have been difficult, you think? He's a Roman soldier in a foreign land that has been conquered, and he's going to what I guess he would see as a religious leader of that land for something that he has no power over and cannot solve. What do you think to Jesus' response? What was his response? In the story. He just says, just says, um, Jesus went with them, right? It's, it's, an, it's interesting, though, because you kind of wonder if there's this gray area of the centurion sending people to Jesus to ask him to go. So you kind of don't really know. I feel like there's this, to me, there's this, like, well, is he being demanded to go by the centurion or is he being asked to go? But I think it, it, the question is answered when the centurion says, no, 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 I'm not, I don't need to command you. I know that you have command over others. And he acknowledges this authority that's different than the centurion's. And I think that's, it's kind of like a hit in the face of like, and I think a, a very big indicator of where the centurion sees Jesus, which is pretty amazing. Do you think Jesus went because he had to. No. That's my impression too. Right. I think he made a clear choice to go. Yeah. I wonder if the people around him thought, you know, what do. The, the, the Jewish leaders that came to him like, so the centurion wants you to, and Jesus was like, yeah, cool, let's go. Yeah. Second message that was sent to Jesus was kind of confirming that he wasn't commanding. 
Yes, he clearly says, you don't even need to come here. That's kind of what he says, yeah. Which people around him were probably like, what just happened? Like, why would he, you know, use his authority? I, I suspect that's what centurions were known for. <coughs> if you got involved with something in the centurion showed up and said, we're going to do this, that's what you did. So yes. I think, there's a, I think there's a definitely a possibility that um, for, for a normal Jew, not going when the centurion said to go would have been damaging, possibly to death. I don't think that any of that is in Jesus' response as far as I can see from what I read, that he's just saying, he's just going. So, we have to think about why, why he did that. Again, the picture is the centurion is an oppressor. He's a commander of a foreign occupying army. He has a need for healing of his servant. And I go. I don't say this person is not a Jew. I don't say this person has heard a lot of Jews, which he probably had. He was trained in you know, the centurion's primary training is on how to kill people, right? He's trained in combat. But he goes. What's the thing that he praises the centurion for? His faith? Yeah. This is a remarkable part of the story, isn't it? He, he praises the centurion's faith. He demonstrated faith in abundance. And then um, Jesus says, even in Israel, have I not seen this type of faith, right? He speaks very highly of him, I agree. One of the things that I think we're going to try and bring out in this series, which comes out here for me very strongly, is um, Jesus responds immediately, apparently without coercion in the sense that I don't believe that the he built the synagogue really had any bearing on his decision to, to go. But it doesn't matter that he's Roman. It doesn't matter that he's an oppressor. It really doesn't factor in. It's not a, this is not a rabbi's son that's, or servant that is suffering. But it makes no difference, right? And Luke tells this story deliberately. You know, he put it in to the story, explaining to us that this happened with someone who was outside, not Jewish, not part of the establishment that, that they are 
right? Um, and to a large extent, oppose an oppressor. You recall that in the pre the, when we looked at this last week. Jesus is doing fine with reading from the from the scroll of Isaiah until a bit later on he tries to explain to them or starts to explain to them that this may not be about you. This may be a blessing for others. And they are not happy with that, right? They really aren't happy with that. And they, they try and push him off a cliff and somehow that, that he gets away. Um, so, again, this is about others. This is about someone on the outside. This is not about the Jewish people and establishment that, uh, that you would expect. There's a second passage that follows straight on from this. And I have to believe that Luke intended us to read these two together. So be thinking about that as we go through this. this is the second passage starts in verse 11. And it's about Jesus raising the widow's son. I'm going to try and contrast the two. They're right beside each other in this gospel, right? So in verse 11, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the whole surrounding country. It's astonishing, don't you think? Are you not astonished? When I first read this, I think, she didn't even ask for help. <laughs> he was dead. They were car- a briar, as far as I can tell, is like a stretcher. right? So it may have, and nowadays, probably have a coffin on it, but, but then I suppose the body was just laying on it. It was being carried like a stretcher. He's dead. They're taking him, I presume, to burial. She doesn't ask her anything. He touches and commands the young man to stand up, to sit up, to get up, and he's alive again. Are you as astonished as I am? You've read it too many times before. (laughs) Um... The woman, this is the son of a woman who was a widow. So what does that mean? Anybody give us any interpretation of that? What does that mean? 
She has no one, right? She is completely without hope in the world. Now that her son has gone, her husband has gone, she has no standing in Jewish society. This is a total mess. Pete's way of putting it. It's a lot more than that. The woman would be marginalized because she has no heir. She effectively becomes an alien in her own, her own town. So this is a big thing for her. This kind of cuts her off from everything. So in a sense, though she's a Jew, she is also an outsider. That makes sense? She's, um, she's not in the norm of society. She's, she's pushed away from it by this situation where she has no standing of her own and she's lost her father and she, sorry, lost her husband and she's lost her son. And why did Jesus do this? Clearly, he didn't save everybody that he came across, or, or there would have been a hospital and nobody would be dying anymore. Right? <laughs> Any thoughts? Why would Jesus do this? He saw a need and fulfilled it. Right. Certainly true. Compassion. Yeah. There's no doubt that he's moved by the situation. So there's clearly a response of compassion. But there must have been other places where you see somebody in distress and no action is taken. I mean, we're gonna, as we go through Luke, we're going to see there's a number of other healings that uh, are you know, kind of in similar vein. That this is, The whole section here is... Um, shows a lot of uh, these actions of Jesus. The impression I get with Jesus, and, and this, this is just my impression, so maybe it's... He's, he's, he's in communion with God, and he's building God's kingdom, and he's listening. And God wanted to do something here, and he knew that, so he became the channel, if that makes any sense. So... It's like, for us, the Holy Spirit can prompt us, right, to do things. Um, I'm sure many of you have stories where you've, you've, you've felt a prompting to, to do something. And we can't understand why God does some things and doesn't do other things that we would like him to do. But in this case, clearly God was at work, right? God is present and at work. The two stories now. What are the what are the main contrasts between the two stories? Tell me some things that are very different in the two stories. The one about the the um, widow's son and the one about the centurion's servant. One asked, one did not. Interesting. Why put those side by side in the gospel? Yes, one asked, one did not. One came from a from a man of of great standing and power. The other one from a widow who has nothing at this point. Yeah? The amount of weight put on the situation is very different. Uh, in the centurion, he is brought, he has a conversation with leaders, he's going physically to the person, and there's 
Yeah. Yeah. One one has much more potential for a uh, for problem than the other. I think is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely true. The care and the compassion. I think with the widow, it's it's even worse than that. She's too overcome to ask. Right. She's she's beyond asking. You know, I I mean. If she'd have known about Jesus and saw him coming, she might have said, oh, look, here's my last chance to save my son. She's way beyond that. She's completely overcome. She, she doesn't know how to ask. It's not, it's not really possible for her anymore. Yet, the miracle still comes. This is the ultimate healing, right? <laughs> I'm dead, now I'm alive again. So it's very, it's a very huge thing. Um, and it was dusted and done, was it not? He's on a briar being carried out of the city. He didn't, he didn't die five minutes ago. I don't know how long it would be, but we're talking days, not hours, aren't we? It doesn't matter who we are. And it doesn't matter what situation we're in, whether we ask or we can't ask. Right? It doesn't matter. Either way, God is moving. So he meets us in our confidence for the centurion and in our despair. When we are full of faith, when all hope seems lost. In our desperation, when we're even too overcome to ask, he meets us in our most vulnerable moments. And it's as if, it's as if the reaction of Jesus accommodates itself to the faith that we have. It was said of the, of the centurion, he had great faith. You don't read that about the widow. I'm not saying she didn't. Uh, it's just not recorded. God is present and at work. So they're the two stories. I hope, you know, as we've dialogued, that you cause you to think more, more deeply into these stories and, and wonder at what Jesus is doing. Is the Holy Spirit teaching us something? Jesus can meet our needs even when we don't ask. Our value. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes.
and, and sometimes inexplainable, but I think that's because you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about are these outside factors that because we're sinners, because we live in this culture that is, or a culture, right, um, that's affected by that sin, we don't see it the way that Jesus was standing there, was seeing it. Yes. Okay, so you're suggesting that Jesus has these kind of spiritual eyes and he sees a situation entirely differently to the way we see it. And and he see he sees where God is at work or wants to be. At, he sees where God is at work or wants to be at work. That's kind of akin to me to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. There's this kind of similarity there, but I get you. Yeah, that maybe, maybe his glasses are not like mine, right? The good news this morning is that Jesus meets us in our confidence and in our despair. When we are full of faith and when all hope seems lost, he meets us in our most vulnerable moments, accommodating himself to the faith we have. He even meets us when we're too overcome to ask. We are never beyond his help or disqualified by our status or circumstance. He is faithful. We sang that earlier, right? Never once did we ever walk alone. You are faithful. 